Hey everybody, welcome back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. This is your host, Libertarian Tony. So today I've got a show for you that's gonna, I think it's going to be kind of on the long side. I hope it's not too long, but I don't know. There's so many different things I want to try to tie together in this one show. And yeah, I, I just, I didn't really think it was beneficial to kind of break this one up uh, into different shows so you may have to go back and listen to it more than once or rewind a few times for certain points but I, I think this is a good one to kind of give you an overall picture especially if you haven't been paying attention to you know this show trial uh, with the impeachment stuff and everything this will give you a a good overall picture of what I think is going on behind the scenes and you know the causes of everything and um, it's not just me I mean it's, I don't do a lot of the primary investigative work myself obviously I read a lot of people and there are tons of great journalists out there independent journalists that are doing really good work and you know they have sources that are kind of friendly to uh, one campaign or uh, political party versus another and they're getting pieces of information and uh, you know a few of my sources actually are leftists honest leftists i didn't think they existed anymore but they do so yeah i mean th there's definitely some really good uh people out there on I guess, all sorts of uh, political, uh, I guess, uh, philosophies that just don't want to see our government, let's say, our, our presidency being taken over by this, you know, fourth uh, unknown branch of government, the deep state. Okay, so anyway, is, since there's a lot of material, I'm just going to kind of get started. Okay, so I guess let's start by talking about this idea of a whistleblower. Let's take a company that you're working for and you see something you're doing that you don't like and then you decide to take it upon yourself to become a whistleblower, you know, for this certain act that you don't like. Well, if it turns out you're, what you're blowing the whistle on is not really illegal, well, then you may face some consequences, including losing your job. So let's say the company is actually doing something illegal and then you decide to blow the whistle on that, and then that plays out in the court system, and then, well, yes, at that point, you probably should have some protections, you know, of your job, and uh, especially against retaliation, because you're actually revealing something that was against the law. And that's where the difference should lie with any whistleblower, you know, whether in government or in the private sector. If it's something you just disagree with, but you know, it's essentially, it's not illegal, well, then what kind of protection should you really have, right? Because, well, maybe a lot of other people agree with it. You know, what, why does uh, your opinion, and when does your opinion about not liking something matter more than theirs? You know, so that, that's the thing, you know, is it illegal or not, or, you know, substantially immoral, right? But, you know, if it's just a preference or a political disagreement, well, then you really aren't a whistleblower. And we know for sure that this supposed whistleblower, Eric Charmella, he was a CIA agent and never had firsthand knowledge of this Trump phone call. And, you know, Trump released the transcript anyway. So we know what the whistleblower, well, actually, we know, so we know this whistleblower was a holdover in the CIA from the Obama administration and met on a regular basis with Joe Biden, John Brennan, Susan Rice, 
and a Democratic operative hired by Hillary in the DNC. That was Alex Chalupa. Remember, she was hired to dig up dirt on Trump. So you got this supposed whistleblower meeting with all these anti-Trump people. We also know from White House records that he met with Victoria Nuland, one of the key people involved in the 2014 U.S.-led coup in Ukraine. And the executive director of that Soros-funded company in Ukraine called Antac, which I'll get into more detail later. You know, so this whistleblower met with some Soros-friendly people. Hmm, okay. So keep that in the back of your mind. All right, now I kind of want to talk about Ukraine aid. I mean, first off, we shouldn't be giving any foreign aid or military aid whatsoever to Ukraine. I mean, they never asked me if I wanted to donate money to the Ukraine. They just stole my tax dollars and gave it away. Besides this obviously being theft, it's all, it also worsens our relationship with Russia. This is not a good thing in my opinion. Russia really is not a threat to us, but we certainly are a threat to them, and there's no need to back a country into a corner and surround them with military bases like we have done when they possess nuclear weapons. This could end up very badly not just for us, but for tons of countries and millions of people around the world. So why would we want to make relations worse with a country that has as many nuclear weapons as Russia does? Makes no sense. Okay, also, Nancy Pelosi might be changing her tune a little bit on impeachment. So just recently, she made some vague statements about deciding you know, what was going to happen uh, going forward, what direction they were going to go in. Several months ago, it seemed like she made the decision to go forward with impeachment and the matter was settled. And that's how you got all these hearings with Adam Schiff, and, you know, controlling everything. Now, after seeing how these public hearings are going so badly for the Democrats, I mean, just about every witness has been scrutinized by the Republicans and either made to look bad or look biased. And they said they, you know, presumed things and didn't actually hear the president say anything damaging. Anyway, the president's poll numbers have gone up. So both his approval rating has gone up and the pro-impeachment poll numbers have gone down over the past couple of weeks. This is a real, I mean, this is a really bad outcome for the Democrats. I mean, they were hoping these public hearings would galvanize their support for impeachment, and it's having the opposite effect. So that's why I think Nancy Pelosi is kind of leaving her options open. Okay, so let's talk about this quid pro quo, like in the general sense of the term. Now, whether you were actually going to get someone to provide evidence that Trump wanted one is kind of irrelevant. To me, it's obvious that there was one, despite the president saying there wasn't and Republicans saying there wasn't. In general, whenever the United States is giving foreign aid or money to a country, there is always a quid pro quo. That's how this works. Quid pro quo is just another term for saying, if I scratch your back, you scratch mine, or let's negotiate, or let's make a deal. It's all the same thing. Something for something is what negotiating is. So no country around the world just gives money to anybody else without expecting something in return. Now, whether Trump said it explicitly or not is a different story. I mean, it was implied that Trump or the United States was going to get something in return. 
In his case, he wanted information primarily on the 2016 election meddling. And also, if they were kind of looking into that, they might as well also get some information on Hunter Biden and all that corrupt crap that he got into as well, right? So do I think there was a quid pro quo? Yes. Do I care that there was a quid pro quo? No, because this is expected. If you're giving money to a foreign country, you expect to get something back in return. The United States doesn't just open up their pocketbook because they love everybody. So again, I don't think anything actually illegal happened in the, with this situation. The implied quid pro quo does not rise to the level of impeachment, in my opinion. The impeachment process by the Democrats is for an entirely different reason, and it goes well beyond the 2020 election. And we'll get into that in a minute. Okay, so let's also keep in mind uh, that this quid pro quo never actually happened. Ukraine got their military aid, and Ukraine never investigated the Bidens. So at best, all you can say is that Trump attempted to abuse power. Also at best, you're never actually going to get someone to testify and bring evidence that Trump asked for a quid pro quo, because he never actually did, right? He was smart enough not to specifically do just that. It's all going to be in this assumption stage, right? Just like Ambassador Sondland testified when, you know, he, he presumed it was a quid pro quo and Trump never actually said it to him and no one actually told Sondland that there was one, okay? It was all a presumption or an assumption. So since we've never actually impeached a president and removed one from office ever, in the history of the country, I mean, we've impeached presidents before, but we've never actually removed them. So is this really going to be the first time that's ever happened where you're going to impeach and remove a president over an attempted abuse of power as opposed to all the other nasty crap prior presidents have done and got away with? You're really going to remove him over an attempted power grab? I just don't see it happening. And neither do the voters, which is why the polls have turned on the Democrats. Another issue is the ability to investigate corruption. It's obvious that Hunter Biden only got that position on the board of directors of that gas company because his last name was Biden and his father was the vice president. And this gave the company a direct link to the White House to do what? Well, ask for favors, of course. So that was a quid pro quo of sorts, wasn't it? Burisma will pay Hunter millions, and in return, they get access to the White House. Okay, so there's an obvious conflict of interest there, which some of the Democrat witnesses admitted during these public trials in the past couple of weeks. Now, here's a little thought experiment. All you have to do is swap out Joe Biden and Hunter Biden for Donald Trump and Eric Trump. And if you would be mad that Eric Trump got an $80,000 a month job for doing nothing and knowing nothing about the company's business because his dad was president. And if that bothers you using the Trump name, well, then the reversed, uh, reverse situation with Hunter and Joe Biden should bother you as well. This is obvious corruption and bribery. So because it's so obvious and because Joe Biden is dumb enough to admit on camera that he extorted Ukraine in order to fire the prosecutor looking into his son and his son's company, this corruption should certainly be investigated. 
regardless if sleepy, nuzzle-humping Uncle Joe is running for president or not. This is not something that needs to wait until Joe Biden decides he's not going to run for president or he gets beat in the primary. Wouldn't you want information like that ahead of time if you're going to have him as the nominee? Would you want someone so obviously corrupt to be your president? Or would you want it flushed out before the election so you can decide whether you want to vote for someone that's that corrupt or not? I mean, if he's not corrupt, then he gets kind of exonerated if it's looked into, right? Well, I mean, that's a good thing if you want to vote for him. So yeah, anyway, Hunter and Joe Biden should both be investigated, and it should not stop there. Okay, so now we're going to get a little bit more closer into like the whole reason I think the Democrats are pushing for impeachment. To me, this is all about a cover-up and trying to either hurt Trump and get him out of the presidency before the investigators do any more damage and reveal any more corrupt and nefarious things that went on in 2015 and 2016. Again, you have to go back several years, and the story is going to continue to unravel over who knows how long, because the Democrats are going to fight this tooth and nail and do everything they can to try to prevent the truth from coming out. So let's again remember that Obama, his State Department, and the CIA instituted a coup in 2014 in Ukraine to replace a Putin-friendly leader with a U.S.-friendly leader. Ukraine was a pro-Russian government up until this coup happened in 2014. The Obama administration, with several key players like Victoria Nuland and Joe Biden and the CIA uh, members from the deep state, they were all involved in financing a neo-Nazi group in the Ukraine to overthrow their elected Putin-friendly leader. So yes, this all happened. And then this was followed up with billions of dollars in aid to the Ukraine once a new U.S.-friendly leader was put in place. Okay, so you have all this money now coming into the Ukraine government, who is now very friendly with ties to Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation. And uh, let's not forget that Ukraine was the largest donor to the Clinton Foundation. And this relationship was expected to continue with the Hillary Clinton presidency. However, in 2015, when Trump started taking out all the other Republican rivals and started to look like a threat, an insurance policy was crafted behind the scenes in the U.S. between the CIA, Hillary, and Obama-friendly officials like George Soros and the DNC. Okay, so at the time, the DNC was colluding with the media and Hillary to take out Bernie Sanders they were also working on a way to deal with the Trump phenomenon. So, with Trump on the campaign trail saying that, you know, he wanted to be more friendly with Russia and friendly with with Putin, this hatched plan by the deep state, let's just call him the deep state at this point, gets going, and they need to generate multiple sources of scandal for Trump and his campaign to deal with. Now, since you have billions of dollars rolling into the Ukraine from U.S. taxpayers, that money is coming with strings attached, and you have several Ukrainian government officials, such as this guy Sergei Lushenko, in the Ukrainian parliament, who becomes one of the main sources behind several hoaxes. So this Ukrainian parliamentarian, Lushenko, was a source for the Democratic National Committee operative Alex Chalupa, who again was hired to dig up dirt on Trump. 
He was also a source for the Fusion GPS Steele dossier, as indicated in a former CIA contractor Nellie Orr's testimony, and he was also a source for the Paul Manafort Black Ledger, which was leaked to the press and reported in Yahoo, Yahoo News by reporter Michael Isakoff. Okay, this was the real 2016 quid pro quo of Ukraine meddling in the United States presidential election in exchange for billions of dollars of money from me and you. And again, as an example of evidence for this, I point to the billion, of, uh, the billion dollars released to the Ukraine after Joe Biden threatened to have the main, you know, Burisma and corruption investigator fired. Okay, let's keep going. So Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort worked with the former Ukrainian president for a long time, and this was a Russian-friendly leader. And he was prosecuted, Manafort was, and he got convicted basically on, like, tax fraud. However, notice the black ledger that was leaked out, this fake document, was never actually used in the trial. It was thought, even by the prosecution, that the document was, in fact, a fraud. But the ledger was enough to get the investigation started where they could look into Manafort more deeply and try to find something that they could prosecute him on, which they did. So another key element in the meddling in the 2016 election was this dirt that was fabricated on Carter Page to get the first FISA warrant. Mostly utilizing the Steele dossier and that the Hillary, Hillary Clinton and the DNC paid Fusion GPS to produce, the Steele dossier was a manufactured conglomerate of fake evidence about Trump and his campaign and that it was directly connected with Alex Chalupa, the DNC operative, and it was directly connected to this Ukrainian parliamentarian Lushenko and Fusion GPS founder Glenn Simpson. So clearly now you see you have a foreign government official working with the DNC with money from the Hillary campaign to damage Trump, Manafort, and Carter Page. This is the definition of collusion with a foreign government. But of course it gets worse. You have U.S. embassy involvement as well and State Department involvement, you have this official, George Kent, who we now have a signed letter from back in 2016 asking Ukrainian investigators not to go after certain people or organizations. This is the so-called do-not-prosecute list that Marie Yavanovich spoke about uh, with the main Ukrainian prosecutor at the time. This is the same list she claims never existed in her testimony, despite the signed letter from Kent that we saw in the trial to contradict her, and despite one of the main Ukrainian prosecutors contradicting her on as well. To make things even more fun, you have this George Soros-funded company called Antac, who was working with the embassy, and specifically George Kent and U.S. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, and a certain FBI agent, Karen Greenaway, where these people went to events and parties together, so they were like buddies of a sort, right? This FBI agent happened to be the lead agent in charge of the Paul Manafort investigation. How do you like that? So they all had this friendly relationship and made sure through this do not prosecute list that the Ukrainian government would not go after the individuals colluding behind the scenes and at the same time, you have this George Soros group, ANTAC, asking Ukrainian investigators to go after Manafort, 
leak the fraudulent black ledger and also target this person called Dimitri Furtash. And we'll get back to Dimitri later. So let's take a minute just to process this. You've got this George Soros-funded group working both with the U.S. Embassy and the FBI. The FBI is going after Manafort, Trump, and Carter Page. The U.S. Embassy is telling the Ukrainian government not to prosecute some people in 2016, and also who to go after instead. And also these same State Department people are now trying to go after Trump in these new impeachment hearings. So they're all colluding together. The U.S. Embassy and the FBI don't want the Soros company investigated, and they pushed for an investigation into a George Soros rival, and that's Dmitry Firtash. Well, Dmitry and Soros are competitors in the energy industry, okay? And they both had this foothold in the Ukraine and both had separate plans for rebuilding that country after the 2014 coup. And guess what? Just after the U.S. Department of Justice announced a plan to indict Furtash in 2014, George Soros then announced his intent to invest $1 billion into the Ukraine. Isn't that just maybe like a bunch of good luck? Okay, so now you say, well, there's no way the FBI was working with Soros-funded group, and that's impossible. Well, remember what I said earlier, that this lead FBI agent going after Paul Manafort, Karen Greenaway, well, shortly after the Manafort investigation, she left the FBI to go and work for, guess who? Antac, the George Soros firm. So yeah, you can say that she was rewarded for her work in going after Manafort. So now you say, okay, I kind of understand what was going on in Ukraine with the embassy and the FBI and Soros. But how does the CIA fit into all this? And how, how does John Brennan fit into all this? Remember way back when we heard about those 17 intelligence agencies in the United States talking about evidence that Russian President Vladimir Putin tried to swing the 2016 election and the, this so-called intelligence community assessment, it was called the IAC for short. This official report came out in January of 2017 after leaks to the media that falsely suggested illicit ties between the Trump campaign and the Kremlin. Okay, and then we spent the next several years with this Mueller investigation, which revealed nothing. So anyway, this IAC report was supposed to serve as some sort of consensus view of the national intelligence community, and it was all organized and overseen by one man, John Brennan. So much for the 17 agencies, right? The CIA, and specifically Brennan, oversaw it all, produced the ISC report, and it was fed to the media as a consensus report of the 17 agencies, which, of course, is hogwash. Anyway, Brennan was the central architect and promoter of this conspiracy theory from its beginning. Brennan not only was the main architect in manufacturing this false connection with Russia, he then also went to the White House and sounded the alarm about a possible Russian collusion and then was tasked with managing the U.S. intelligence community's response on the fake information that he started in the first place. So you really have to give this guy some credit for having such huge cojones. I mean, he made up the information and then sounded the alarm, so to speak, by telling the White House about it and then leaked it out to the news agencies when he found it helpful, and then 
he was placed in charge of investigating it before it was kicked over to the FBI to investigate and start a prosecution. So although this John Brennan deep state hoax is complex, there are several key things he was directly involved in, one of which was sending someone to meet with George Papadopoulos, saying they had politically damaging information on Hillary Clinton from the Russians, and that person was the CIA asset Joseph Mifsud. I think I'm saying his name right, Mifsud. So he's a CIA asset and pretended to have this information on Hillary Clinton. His role was to get Papadopoulos to pick up this false, uh, this false information somehow and then like, somehow try to use it. However, Papadopoulos went to the FBI with this information and they actually asked him to wear a wire against Miss Food. Okay, and as I mentioned in a prior podcast, the, the CIA and John Brennan duped the FBI into this part of the investigation of the Trump team. In fact, the New York Times just ran a piece recently asserting that intelligence flowed from the CIA to the FBI, suggesting that the CIA had been the prime mover of the probe through deception, and also that John Durham was asking interview subjects whether the CIA officials might have somehow tricked the FBI into opening the Russia investigation. And you probably remember from a prior podcast as well that Peter Strzok, when he was texting his lover Lisa, Lisa Page, said things like, I think our sisters, the CIA, have been leaking like mad. And we also have an email from Peter Strzok saying that he was worried the CIA was deceiving both the Bureau and the public, and he said, I'm beginning to think the agency got info a lot earlier than we thought and hasn't shared it, complete with it completely with us, and it might explain all these weird and seemingly incorrect leads that all these media folks have, and it would also highlight the agency as a source of some of the leaks. So while Brennan is sending someone to a Trump campaign official, Papadopoulos, with fake information about Hillary and Russia, He's also going to the White House officials saying that he has received independent information from a mole in the Kremlin who leaked intel to him about a Vladimir Putin operation to get Trump elected. And then he's also involved with the fake Steele dossier, which was supposed to serve as another piece of independent information about Trump colluding with Russia in the 2016 election. One problem is that you remember the Intelligence Community Assessment Report, right? This IAC report? Brennan insisted that in congressional testimony, the dossier was not used in any way as a basis for this IAC report of, you know, of the 17 intelligence agencies. However, the dossier was somehow inserted as an appendix to the IAC report, and Brennan personally advocated for its inclusion in the report. So why would he, under testimony, say it wasn't used? Hmm, okay, could he have made a mistake there? Anyway, James Clapper, another deep stater, the guy who lied under oath about spying on every U.S. citizen, he backs this up by saying that some of the important and crucial content of the dossier was used in corroborating their IAC report. But John Brennan testified that the dossier was not used in this IAC or ICA report. Hmm. Wonder what that means. Anyway, perhaps... There's a little circular reasoning going on. Or, again, could this be a mistake by Brennan? We'll have to wait for John Durham. 
So again, let's get back to the, the size of the balls that John Brennan has. And I don't really like to talk about testicles on my podcast, but since John Brennan stepped down from the CIA in early 2017, he has gone on the news and said things like Trump is treasonous and in the pocket of Putin and the claims of no collusion by Trump was hogwash. And towards the final weeks of the Mueller probe, Brennan boldly predicted that a wave of indictments against Trump's inner circle was coming for this Russia conspiracy. And then somehow, after Mueller completed his probe and no indictments came, he goes on TV and changes his tone and says, I don't know if I received bad information, but I think I suspected there was more there than there actually was. But you realize how screwed up this is, right? He was the one who supplied all the fake information to start with. Okay, now I guess I have to go back a little bit to George Soros. Soros was making some big financial bets with the Ukraine, but could only do so if Russia and Vladimir Putin were out of the way. This was one of the main reasons why the United States initiated this coup in Ukraine in 2014. Soros could not invest his billions under a Putin-friendly leader. So after the coup... Soros announced interest in investing tons of money into the Ukraine, but he also needed a rival taken out, that of the Ukrainian oligarch Dmitry Firtash. So Soros pressured the Department of Justice to investigate Firtash, as I said earlier, and this happened in about 2014. So as things were playing out in U.S. politics, and George Soros being one of the top 10 donors to the Hillary Clinton 2016 election effort, you had this rise of the Trump phenomenon going on, and George Soros needed a way to protect his investment in Ukraine. And that's where you get his company, Antac, working with the FBI and the U.S. Embassy and the State Department people overseas in the Ukraine to investigate the George Soros competitors, as well as put out a list of people not to investigate. Remember, the do not prosecute list had to do with people that George Soros was involved with that needed this protection. So yeah, this liberal mega-donor George Soros made some big bets during the last uh, U.S. presidential election, and he and everybody else thought Hillary was going to win, and he set everything up ahead of time for him to continue to make his billions, but then helped initiate steps behind the scenes for that just-in-case insurance policy if Hillary lost to Trump. So according to former Mayor Giuliani and some other political insiders and other people who have, you know, information and done really good investigative journalism out there like John Solomon, there's really a lot more that's going to come out of this story and hopefully over the next, you know, few weeks and months. I really can't wait to see where it goes. We have, you know, started seeing leaks of this IG report and the story behind it could go several ways. People are already trying to blame the initiation of the investigation on a low-level lawyer and the FBI, which of course is a lie and, you know, a continuation of the cover-up. I can easily see James Comey and the FBI blaming Brennan and the CIA for being misled and, and agencies and people all pointing fingers at each other as things come out. In addition, we are starting to get more information both from the Ukraine, from uh, freedom of freedom of information requests from the government about more corruption that Hunter Biden was involved in, none of which is going to help Joe in his campaign. For example, there's a Ukrainian official claiming that Hunter and his partners 
allegedly stole $16 million from the Ukraine. And this came from some sort of money laundering and criminal means. Let's see how that story plays out. There was also a good old scandal now being exposed where you have an investment firm linked to Rosemont Capital, that's Hunter Biden's company, that received over $130 million in federal bailout money while his father was vice president, and the money was routed through the Cayman Islands in order to escape taxes. This was all through a government bailout program in 2009 called TALF, Term Asset Backed Securities Loan Facility. I mean, I'd rather just call it TALF. A lot of companies took money from the government during that period in order to purchase bad debt at no risk to the company, but supposedly it was really hard to qualify for this money, and I'm sure it helped that your dad was the VP at the time, and I don't know how many of these companies routed the money through the Cayman Islands. So imagine if the Trump family did something like that. I mean, people would be marching on the White House with pitchforks and torches. I also found a story circulating that over $7 billion was funneled out of the Ukraine through an American investment firm linked to the Democratic Party called Franklin Templeton Investments. Okay, so let's see what happens with that. If there's one thing you can count on, it's government corruption and scandals. No matter who is in power, the scandals continue. It just goes to show you how corrupt it all really is, and whether you're in a supposedly free country such as ours, or in a communist or former, com- former communist country like Russia and Ukraine, it's all corrupt. There's really nothing the average person can do about it other than work towards one simple goal, which is decreasing government involvement in everything. Shrinking the size and scope of government should be your goal. All governments have corruption, and you can never get rid of it entirely, but you can decrease it. The smaller your government, the smaller footprint your government can have on businesses, money and finance, war, the welfare state, healthcare. I mean, the list is endless. Anything government touches will involve corruption in one way or another. And remember, your government partners with large corporations in these public-private partnerships to increase their power, increase their return off of your hard-earned tax dollars, and the only real way to combat this is to realize that corrupt governments aren't going to fix themselves. Why would they? You can't expect Washington, D.C. to fix Washington, D.C. It's never going to happen. But the best way to combat all this corruption is just to have less government involvement. So when you're thinking about who to vote for, and what direction do you think a certain piece of legislation is going to push things, think about this one thing. Will this person I'm voting for, or this piece of legislation they are pushing, will this increase the size and scope of government, or decrease government involvement? That's the main question. A decrease in government involvement in your life leads to more individual freedom, and a great natural byproduct of less government means overall less corruption. So, if you are against corruption, you should be against government. And that's why I'm a libertarian. Libertarian political philosophy is all about the individual as the building block for society. It's anti-statism, it's anti-collectivism, it's anti-government. And they are the only ones who really want to decrease the size and scope of government. Republican politicians talk about it, but they never actually pull it off and haven't been able to bring it to fruition in any measurable success whatsoever. Remember how Ronald Reagan talked about it and increased military spending every year? 
Remember how George Bush started two new wars and then initiated the Patriot Act to spy on all U.S. citizens? And the Democrats, they don't even talk about it, right? They never talk about decreasing government because their fundamental philosophy requires government to be involved in delivering all the services they want and also to punish everyone who doesn't toe the party line. Their political goals require an overbearing government to carry out their plans. So if there's an R or a D next to their name when you go to vote, realize that you're not voting to really fix anything. You're just perpetuating and worsening the corruption that's already there. Maybe you're just flopping around who the money goes to from time to time. Well, that will do it for today. Thank you all for listening to the Liberty on Fire podcast. Please do me two favors. Number one is to share the show. Remember that we want to continue to advance the message of individual liberty and sharing and growing the show is one of the best ways to do that. The second favor is to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. A five-star rating is much appreciated. Also, please check out our website, libertyonfire.org. Thank you very much. And until next time, let's keep those fires of liberty burning bright. Mm -hmm.